Welcome to Slumpbusters. It's time for episode 103 of the Slumpbuster Podcast. I'm your host, Juju Talks Sports. My guest today is going to be stand-up comedian Stephen Puga. On today's episode, we break down the latest speculation on Deshaun Watson, talk what Carson Wentz injury means for the Colts, and give you your NFC East preview. But before we do that, folks, it's time to give a shout out to our partner, Caveman Coffee Co. Caveman is a fantastic single source, single origin goodness from a company with impeccable taste and ethics. The people behind it are beautiful souls, and the coffee is delicious fuel for the never-ending quest to do better, be better, love harder, and enjoy deeper. Guys, I tell you, their nitro cold brew is the perfect blend of energy and refreshment in the morning. Great way to start the day. But why stop there? They have their mammoth blends, which I highly encourage you getting. They have their hibiscus teas, which are delicious. And guys, if you use our promo code slump, you get 15% off your next purchase of any of these fantastic products cavemancoffeeco.com promo code slump guys don't be a chump use promo code slump and get yourself a case today all right folks it's time for the episode steven puka juju talk sports episode 103 let's get it let's bust the slump and let's enjoy Welcome to Slump Busters. It's time for episode 103 of the Slump Buster podcast and back for round number three, Stephen Michael Puga, a three-time, three-time, three-time guest. Welcome back, Puga. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. How are you guys doing? How's everything going down there where you're at? It's going great, man. I figured I had to get you back on before you became too famous here. Obviously going on the road, going to multiple comedy tours. Uh, good job, man. Uh, you, congrats out there. Oh, thank you, dude. It's been uh, it's still a work in progress. There's still a lot to be learned, but uh, I've already met uh, incredible people that have just been uh, very humble to help me out also. So it's it's been great. Yeah, see, Money was telling me that he saw you live. And I got to say, like, uh, I was hearing some good stuff. I don't want to put you on the spot, but you got to act. Are we going to just, no, I'm not kidding. We're not going <laughs> to make you riff on here. But how, how long have you been passionate about the idea of stand-up comedy? Like, when did that idea really, like, perk up into your head? Well, I've always, uh, I've always been a, a huge fan of stand-up. I grew up watching it. I, I grew up going to the comic strip right down the street from my house. So I, comedy's been around me my whole life. I've just never had the opportunity to try it or even know where to even start with comedy, you know? And uh, uh, in January, I saw there was an open mic at this bar that I like to hang out at. And uh, I, I gave it a shot. And uh, ever since then, it's just been this whirlwind of open mic after open mic and a lot of late nights, but it's finally starting to pay off. I did my first road gig uh, about two weeks ago in, in Albuquerque, and that was a lot of fun. And then just this past Thursday, I did a show in uh, in Las Cruces, a town that you're very familiar with. So yeah, no, and that and they were both were great crowds. New Mexico has a great comedy scene. The crowds there are incredible. And uh, I can't wait to go back. Any more fun trips planned in the near future? Uh, not that I know of right now. I'm, I'm still working on a couple of things, but hopefully by the by next spring, I can be a little bit more established because I'm still very new to the game. And I still need a lot to learn, but hopefully by next spring, it's going to start picking up even more. So I'm just taking my time. I'm just doing a little road gig here and there. Uh, I know I just did New Mexico, but but no, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I'm excited. You don't think you're ready to jump into uh, Joe Rogan's Austin, Texas, capital of comedy? You know what? Everyone has everyone is going out there. And uh, they, in fact, I was listening to his podcast on the way back from work and he was talking about opening up a comedy club over there and that it's supposed to be like the top of the line comedy club hopefully one of these days i can get out there check it out well you definitely are noticing that he did have a magnetism behind him in terms of who was following him all the way over here 
Uh, oh, certainly yeah. Dave Chappelle doing a lot more shows out here. Uh, Tim Dillon, who's one of his buddies, doing a lot of shows <laughs> down here. Joe himself. And a lot of other stand-up comedians, if you look at just, for example, a popular website we use down here at Do 512, every night almost a new comedy act or a comedy act that you may have heard on JRE before. So you can tell yeah. he's definitely doing a lot for the city in terms of bringing yeah. people over here uh, to show yeah. their act. So who knows, man? I'm just saying, I do open mic down here. Who You know, you never know who's yeah. in that crowd. Yeah, he hangs around Chewy's a lot, apparently. Yeah. On Thursday, when I was in Las Cruces, one of the comics who just got back from Michigan told me that I think the best open mic in Austin is they say the Lucky Dog or something like that. Is it? Is that? Does that sound familiar? I always hear about Bolstead, Bolstead Gas Company. Yeah, uh, a lot of those kind of type places. And then there's also this one that's Stubbs Barbecue is one of the more popular barbecue places. Yeah, I know Dave Chappelle likes to go there. Yeah, it has some correlation to, um, in general, the comedy scene that they do a lot of open stuff out there. So yeah, you know, it's definitely, you could tell the impact on the city and hey, you know, we all need a good time. We all need a reason to get out of the house. So I think stand-up comedy is definitely a great reason to yeah. do such. Speaking of things to get excited about though, Puga, I brought you on this episode. Obviously it's going to be the NFC East breakdown, Ooh, but we yeah. did have some news kind of before the show and it kind of relates to your Eagles. This isn't the exact Eagles breakdown, but apparently they cleared a bunch of cap space and that's led to people talking. Deshaun Watson. Still a very weird situation going on out there in Houston. As of yesterday, he was playing scout team defense, playing safety. I didn't know how often he was going to line up out there this season. But there's so many unique wrinkles to it because I feel like this right. story went so quiet for the longest time. And then you got all the Aaron Rodgers stuff. And I feel like people weren't talking to Sean Watson. He still has two depositions in September and February. Another team that's kind of lurking in the wings, apparently, is the Carolina Panthers, despite just acquiring Sam Darnold. Do you anticipate we'll see Deshaun Watson at all this year? I don't see him playing with the Houston Texans. I think that's his last resort. If I'm not correct, he doesn't want to be there, right? He doesn't get along with the management. He doesn't just want to be there. That's just the moral of the story, right? I, I, I don't want to name any names or anything or put anybody out there, but I have talked to some friends who have connections with the Eagles, and it's a very real thing going on with the Eagles and Deshaun Watson. They're, they do want him. As, and, and we all saw, you just said that the, that the Eagles are clearing up some cap space. And a lot of, and to be honest, a lot of Eagles fans on Twitter and you listen to the Philadelphia radio station, uh, they do not want Deshaun Watson as the Eagles quarterback. They want to give Jalen Hurts a chance, which I do understand. And, I, and, and that's a different, we'll get into Hurts in a little bit, but Deshaun Watson, I think just the situation is, uh, is hindering him. I think from teams trading for him. And I know the Texans are asking for a lot. I mean, they're asking for like two first round draft picks, an offensive player and like a late round pick if, if I'm not misunderstood. And uh, actually now the Eagles look like they're going to have two first round picks in next year's draft because Carson Wentz got hurt again, shocker. And he's probably not going to play 75% of the snaps. He's going to be out five to 12 weeks. Who knows if he's going to be even ready for week one. So the Eagles are looking at right now, I'm going and thinking you have two first round picks to acquire a quarterback via trade. And I, I really do think we will see Deshaun Watson. I just don't know if it's going to be with the Texans. I don't know if it's going to be with the Eagles either. And I know it's very controversial with 
his, I guess, his allegations, you can say. But at the same time, Deshaun Watson is a top, I, I, I believe, I don't know if you believe, but I believe that Deshaun Watson is a top five quarterback in the NFL. And if you have a chance to get a top five quarterback when you feel really uncertain about your starting quarterback, why not make that trade? You know, we'll see. Time will tell. I mean, he still has a couple of hurdles to get over as far as uh, getting off scot-free of what he's uh, being accused of. And I don't know any of the details or whatnot, but uh, there's going to be multiple teams interested. You got the Eagles is one who I think are the front runner just because they have multiple picks in the cap space now to make a trade. Then uh, you have the Denver Broncos who need a quarterback. I don't know. They're they're a weird team. They can't develop a quarterback, so they got to go trade for one. And then now I'm just hearing what you just said, the Carolina Panthers. So there's three teams that uh, are on the Deshaun Watson radar. Where he ends up, who knows? But uh, I just have a feeling it's going to be with the Eagles sooner or later. Okay, so Steven Roseman Puga. You are saying right in here today that you would make that trade even despite the allegations. Okay. I'm glad you said Roseman. I'm looking at it through the eyes of Howie Roseman. Not through, because if I say all, because I took a lot of heat, because I said uh, the other day on Twitter, you got to remember, as fans, we can only hope and wish for what we want, but the front office actually knows what they want. You know what I mean? And I think Howie Roseman, I think he's on his last leg right now as far as being the Eagles GM, because some of his draft picks, despite probably Devontae Smith, haven't worked out. And Devontae Smith has been as advertised before he, he got hurt. So I'm looking at it through the eyes of Howie Roseman. And uh, I'm looking at it through uh, the eyes of Jeffrey Lurie. And I don't think they're sold on, on Jalen Hurts. I, I think he's just a placeholder for this year. I don't. I, he's just an enigma right now. We don't know. For all I know, he could come out and be the next Russell Wilson this year. You know what I mean? So I'm going to give him that opportunity. If, if, I, if, I, if I don't see any production or, or, or any type of uh, you know, points being scored on the field, I'm, I'm definitely going to more likely make that trade, you know, because the Eagles offense had problems scoring points last year with the quarterback position, as awful as, as Carson Wentz was last year. Then you have Jalen Hurts who comes in here, lights it up, but he was a little suspect at times. You know, he worked his butt off this offseason, and I think he deserves to be the starter, but I don't know if the Eagles front office feel that way. And I feel like they want to make a trade for Deshaun Watson, and I think as soon as he gets cleared of his of his allegations and he's uh presumed innocent or whatever I, I don't know the legal terms about it they're gonna make that trade and i had a conversation with a friend last night about this and i just have a feeling they're gonna do it i i think it's either gonna be this preseason or it's gonna be next march but i don't i don't see jalen hurts being the future of the of the eagles do you think Roger Goodell steps in and puts him on the exempt list? Uh, again, with deposition set for February, uh, that's obviously not till the end of the season. Right. Hypothetically, if he does get traded, that means he could be on the field. And we've seen the NFL definitely put people on suspension for a lot less. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, the NFL, I think they have their own rules. You know what I mean? They Their own discipline. You don't have to be convicted. You just got to, I guess, be accused of it. You know, you look at Ezekiel Elliott, you know, he, no proof, but he still got suspended six games. Well, certainly someone deflating balls is a red flag for them. Uh, deflating your balls on 42 masseuses, I think, is one for as well. <laughs> yeah. No, definitely. That's a good one right there. Uh, yeah. So, I try. I mean, I'm not the stand up comedian you are, but no, I, I give a, it a, that was a great one. I loved, it. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. No, I, yeah. Um, we'll see, man. 
I don't know. The, the NFL is real tricky about this. I, I think maybe if uh, depending on what happens in February, I, he, he, I think he will play this season. I just don't know where. Uh, but I think maybe his suspension will come next year. Okay. Before we get into the NFC East, though, you did mention his name, and I thought it'd be interesting to get your take on it. Carson Wentz, injured again. What do you think of this man's future? Uh, five to 12 weeks, definitely going to be out with that foot injury. By the time he comes back, the Colts are probably going to be out of playoff contention. How long do you think the Colts can really buy in, given they acquired this guy with the injury history and he's already hurt? Well, the Colts, uh, they did themselves a little bit of a favor drafting Sam Ellinger, right? So, uh, I mean, hook them horns, but uh, at the end of the day, he is a rookie, very inexperienced in the NFL. I don't even know who the Colts' backup is. Uh, Jacob Eason. So they drafted Jacob. Jacob Eason last year out of Washington. And actually, I think Sam Ellinger was undrafted, but they still picked him up. Either way, that's the two guys oh, okay. that they have rolling out there right now. Now, there right. were some rumblings, potentially. Philip Rivers, they could give him a call and say, hey, Philip, you up? And I wouldn't think that'd be the worst option if Philip Rivers is willing to come out right now. But apparently, he was saying he might want to finish up coaching the high school football season um, and be back by later in the season. And at that point, what's it even worth for the Eagles? Because then Carson would, in theory, be back. I don't think that's really a viable option for them. Between the two young guys on that team, Eason and Allinger, it's hard for me to say without seeing Eason play in over a year. I know that uh, Washington was a more conservative offense. And then Allinger, as much as I love watching him at the collegiate level, I just don't see his skill set really translating yeah. well to the pros. He feels a little Colt McCoy to me. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I, I don't know what the Colts are going to do. They probably freaked out. They were like, oh, like we should have known, but uh, it's like being in an abusive relationship. It's yeah. Just like, you know, I, you know what this I guy's think, about. <laughs> and the wor worst case scenario for him, for, for the Colts is that he comes back week eight because it's a 12 week injury. So he, he sustained it, what, like a week ago, two weeks ago. Exactly. They're kind of caught court. in that Bermuda triangle where it's so really not a perfect answer for them. Yeah, because if he was just out for the season, I think it's an obvious one. Go out there and acquire someone. But since he is coming back somewhat in the middle of the season, that makes it a little bit more of a sticky situation for them. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know what they're going to do with him. And once he was traded, I was like, yeah, like he's their problem now. Like, forget it. But I don't know. I, that's a real interesting question. I think they're just going to roll with what they have and then come week eight they're going to throw Carson back out onto the field, maybe even sooner, depending on how um, bad their quarterback situation looks going into week eight. But they'll know very quickly what they have week one, week two, maybe even the preseason. They're probably going to try to make a trade, call Phillip Rivers, like you said. So we'll, we'll definitely see. What do you think of the disrespect, though, from the Nick Foles camp? Uh, has that little press conference there where he's saying like, hey, come get me. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You know, make a trade. You have Nick Foles out there. But can you imagine what would go through Carson Wentz's head if Nick Foles gets traded to the Colts and he has to like relive for the third time Nick Foles taking over for him being injured? Oh, if the Colts made the playoffs with Nick Foles under center, oh my God, just at that point, you just got to retire. They're building a statue for him already outside of Lucas Oil Stadium. Yeah, yeah. And then not only that, you have Frank Reich, who was very successful with Nick Foles in those in that run in 2017. So, I mean, I, I could see it happening, but I just, for the sake of Carson Wentz and the Colts, I, I just don't think they're going to, they're going to, because Frank Reich knows like, oh, if we bring in Nick Foles, yeah, it's going to be great that I had that we have him, but we just traded for Carson Wentz in March. 
Yeah, you don't yeah. want a quarterback with a fragile ego, but at the same time, if you got to do this guy a solid and at least let it play out without getting Nick Foles. I, I feel like that's just a name that should not be spoken. It's almost like Voldemort in Carson Wentz's mind. Yeah, and uh, and then not only that, you know, like actually at the Colts were my favorite to win the AFC South. You know, I don't see the Jaguars doing much, even though they have Trevor Lawrence and they have a couple of good players on defense. I don't see them really doing much unless they surprise everybody. Then you have the Texans, who we just talked about going through their own problems. The Oh, and the, oh well, I'm sorry, the Titans. You have, I forgot about them. The Titans, who I was, I, I thought the Colts were actually going to come back and, and be pretty good. But now that they're out, I, I have the Titans running it back again. Yeah, certainly the Titans have loaded up, obviously gained Julio Jones. Yeah, exactly. Uh, some improvements on defense with uh, Bud Dupree coming over there. And then, of course, Derrick Henry coming off 2,000-yard rushing season. So yeah, it definitely isn't looking very promising out there in Indianapolis post-injury there. Okay, well, let's get into it. So we went through the North, we went through the AFC East. Now it's time for the NFC East preview slump busters. So starting off at the bottom, starting up with Steven Michael Puga's team here, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles finished last season 4-11-1. This season, I have them finishing Four and 13, man. And I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry to put you out there on this, but with the team as it is currently constructed, not assuming any trades or anything else going on, I just don't have a lot of faith in their roster versus other teams' rosters. They weren't very great defensively last year. And Jalen Hurts seems like a very poor man's Lamar Jackson. He doesn't seem nearly as dynamic of the playmaker that Lamar is. So I feel as though his running skill set has a limited ceiling. Yes, he'll win you some games. He'll surprise some teams. You may even have some fun upsets here and there, but I have little faith in them. They did make a couple pickups here, uh, picking up Ryan Kerrigan from Washington, very talented leader to add to your defense. I'm also not sold on your guys' coach. Uh, Before The last time we had you on, we didn't have a final name as far as who was going to be that coach. It ended up being Nick Sirianni. And from listening to him in press conferences, listening to his practice strategies, I'm not (laughs) buying it. Yeah, you know, I don't blame you for having the Eagles winning four games. They're very, well, they're, they're, talk about a clean slate. You get a new head coach, you get a new offensive coordinator, you get a new defensive coordinator, you get a new wide receivers coach, you have a new quarterback, new receiving core, brand new receiving core, and the Eagles offensive line and the defensive line, I think, are the best parts about the team. I don't think anybody will argue with me on that. But as far as like from the skill set and the coaching standpoint, um, very inexperienced. I don't blame you for, for, again, I don't blame you for having uh, them going four and 13. Uh, that feels weird saying that four and 13, but um, yeah, there, I, I don't even know what to think of Nick Sirianni as a coach yet. I know he's very young. Also again, inexperienced. That's like the, the theme of this Eagles team this year, I think is inexperienced because first time head coach and then their de- well, I, their defensive coordinator is going to switch them back to a three, four. So you're going to see a lot of uh, outside linebacker movement. You're going to see, it's going to be very different from what uh, Jim Schwartz had them doing. And you're going to see a lot of two safety sets. I, I just want to see some more blitzes coming from this defense. That's one thing that I, that I really miss seeing as when uh, Jim Schwartz took over uh, the Eagles hardly blitzed, but, they relied on their front four, which was very effective to get to the quarterback. But when their front four on defense was being shut down, their secondary was being cooked. 
this year you have two safeties to help out in the back, which will help out some. But uh, again, I think this team is just really inexperienced. I don't see them going 4-13, though. I see them winning like six games. That's the ceiling for me. Uh, I just don't think they're going to be as bad as they were last year. And I think they're going to be really good coming right out the gate, just like what they did with Doug Peterson when he took over. His first year, he started 3-0. and And he upset the Steelers. Well, they beat up on the Browns. They were they went 0-16, so I'm not going to count that. And then they, they went on Monday night to Chicago. They beat the Bears, and then they turned right around and, and beat up on the Steelers, who uh, I, I forgot how far they went in the playoffs that year in 2016. But, you know, and, that, and then after that, they just kind of railed off as soon as film and people started seeing their weaknesses uh, on the game tape. So I think this team's going to start out real strong. I think they're maybe going to start maybe 2-1, two 2-2 and one, two and two at the most. And then after that, it's going to be a struggle because you have to go week one. You're going up against the, the Falcons in Atlanta. Not going to be an easy game. Then you you turn around, right around, you have your home opener against the 49ers. They're going to be coming in hot because they're going to, they look like they're getting ready to do make another run because they're going to be back healthy. Then week three, a game that I'm going to be at in Dallas Monday night. So those are three games right off the bat that you just got to come out and just play your best football right off the gate. And whether that those moments are going to be too big for Nick Sirianni, we'll find out. We'll find out. Jalen Hurts has his work cut out for him as well. Like I said, I don't think he's going to be the long-term answer for the Eagles. I, I think he's more of a poor man's Russell Wilson. If poor that man's means. Russell Wilson. Okay, well, that's yeah. interesting. I don't know if he's got that deep ball that Russ necessarily has, but... Yeah, well, you know what? The, the good thing I forgot to mention is, is Jalen Hurts, he, he does have a good deep ball. He does have a good deep ball, but his accuracy in the intermediate routes, I just feel like he's going to rely a lot on the tight ends who are going to be open because now we have Devontae Smith and we have Quez Watkins who is looking real good in camp. So we'll see. We'll see. I I have him going, what, 6-11. and Fair enough. I find it funny how you just have that uh, 2016 season just logged in your memory, just a season to never forget, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm just I'm just hoping that it like the breath of fresh air that came out after Chip Kelly was was obviously Doug Peterson, and it worked out really well. I think. I mean, they won a Super Bowl with him, so I'm not saying Nick Sirianni is going to be that guy to win the Eagles another Super Bowl, but I think the way things ended in 2020, the way it, everything just debacled underneath Carson Wentz, the way the team just kind of gave up around like the whole morale of the team. And then Doug Peterson just wasn't good at adjusting in game. And then we, you know, talk about week 17, you know, we're beating the the Washington football team. We look like we're going to win that game. And then in the fourth quarter, third quarter, Doug Peterson pulls the plug, pulls out the starters and puts like the preseason team in and, you know, botch the game blow. Like they, they threw away that game. Quick way to lose a locker room. That's for sure. And, and you know what? I know it kept the Giants out of the playoffs, and I hate the Giants. I don't know what the um, logic behind that was because, I mean, come on. He wanted to give Nate Sudfield some time. I mean, come on, dude. Like, you have Jalen Hurts, who's playing really well. The defense, who's playing really well, shutting down Terry McLaurin and all those guys. I mean, Jalen wasn't playing really well, but he wasn't playing bad enough to get benched. Right, right. yeah. And I, But I, I still wouldn't have benched him. You still uh, want to see what your second round pick can do as opposed to Nick Sudfeld, who is, you know, going to be a backup for the entirety of his career. Yeah, exactly. So I was just like, 
watching that watching that was so hard to watch i was i couldn't believe what i was watching but i sat there and did it anyway so i think that's what lost dug the locker room and i guess there were just more some more internal issues going on that we don't know about that i don't know about that led to his firing because i don't i don't know of any coach that's gotten fired like two years right after he's won a super bowl that's not a good sign and now it, it, Luckily, the the media and or the players have been saying that they like this new guy, Nick Sirianni. He's very hands on, very energetic. But uh, we'll see if uh, the players still buy into that type of attitude or that type of coaching when they're when they hit a bump in the road. You know, you think Doug Peterson gets a job on the next coaching cycle? Uh, I think he gets like a coordinator position. Okay, so he has to earn his way back up. Uh, Fair enough. On to the next team in the division. So speaking of teams you hate here. The Dallas Cowboys. Oh, last, year, last year finished six and ten. Uh-huh. This year, I have the Cowboys finishing ten and seven. And I've okay. given a little bit of respect to obviously Dak Prescott coming back. I think will be improvement over Andy Dalton. I don't think that defense is going to make drastic improvements, but I do think drafting Micah Parsons is a guy I really like coming out of Penn State. I think that will help their team a ton. And then Keanu Neal, he's not a great cover safety, which is something they probably needed a little bit more. But the fact that he's that hybrid type of linebacker might help them in the box and certainly shutting down a lot more running teams or a lot more of teams running game. So right. there is little things that this team did that is incrementally improved. I do think that coaching is a big liability for them. Mike McCarthy still trying to establish what that variation is between how much was Aaron Rodgers versus how much was his last season was not a great reflection on him as a coach even right. though the Cowboys did show signs of life late in the year, I should know I was live in attendance to see them whoop up on my Niners. Hate to say it, but it happened. They had the talent. Let's face it. Offensively, yeah. CD Lamb, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, Dak, uh, Zeke Elliott in the backfield. Offensively, they have all the weapons they need, but they just always underperform. 10 to 7, I think, is a good barometer for them and a good finish. Yeah, I, I have them going 10 and 7 also. I, I, I think they're probably going to more than likely, unless something catastrophic happens, like a Dak Prescott injury like last year happened, uh, they're probably going to win the division, unfortunately, for, for me to say. Um, but uh, you, know, you, you're, you just hit the nail on the head. Their offense is loaded. You have, you have C.D. Lamb, you have Ezekiel Elliott. But I think I, the question to me is, how is Dak going to come back? We've seen it where quarterbacks suffer an injury like that and they turn into pocket passers, you know what I mean? So that's what happened. I mean, I compare that injury to what happened to Donovan McNabb back in the early 2000s. Running quarterback, kind of like Dak, had a really good arm, had some, I guess his his accuracy's gotten better over the years. But granted, you have CeeDee Lamb and you have Michael Gallup and all these guys, Amari Cooper. But uh, I just want I just want to know if Dak's going to continue to run a lot. Well, I don't think he was ever a run-first type of guy. I yeah. know he definitely had that in his skill set. So he might be more risk adverse. I don't think him turning into a pocket passer is necessarily a bad thing. I think it's probably better yeah, for his yeah, long-term I, yeah, growth. I, I don't, I don't think it is either. Yeah, I just, I just. Uh, just I enough just to keep know. people honest, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, he's, I think everybody on that team, again, just like the Eagles had a bad year last year, you know, Dak going down. You had Ezekiel Elliott, who was having uh, ball security issues, fumbling. You had a defense that uh, couldn't stop a nosebleed. And I think their Achilles heel is going to be still going to be that defense. I know they drafted uh, Michael Parsons, and I think he's going to be an impact player. But that secondary, I think, is still going to be suspect. Uh, thankfully for them, they have the offense to, I guess, uh, match every point the, uh, the opposing offense has. You know what I mean? I mean, look at that game against the Browns. I mean, they gave up, what, 
I don't know how many points, but it was like a shootout. It was like 45, good. 44, something yeah, insane. Yeah, exactly. It was like yeah. a college game. So look at the game against the Falcons the previous week. Yeah, the, the, their early start to the season was insane. Certainly, if you're a fantasy football owner, owning a share of the Dallas Cowboys offense is a good idea. But in terms of winning games, I think that that's always going to be the thing that hurts this team whenever it comes to making a big playoff run. A lot of people are picking the Cowboys as dark horse Super Bowl contenders. And I'm hesitant to make that claim because I don't think they've done enough defensively to really compete with the bigger teams in that conference. Yeah, I, I think when I look at Tampa, and we'll find out right away, their first game is going to be Tampa Bay. Uh, yeah. how, if, how can they contain an offense of that variety with that many weapons on the outside? If they can do a good job there, then that probably should give Cowboys fans a little bit more faith in the year. And that um, is pretty toxic to say, giving Cowboys fans faith throughout the year, but I, I someone has to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, they're good. Like I said, they're going to be loaded on offense. I just feel like that defense is still going to be the Achilles heel of that team, you know, and then it comes back to Dak quarterback play and then Ezekiel Elliott. Cause once he gets going, he's who I'm most worried about. Yeah. And he's been yeah. going downhill each of the last four years you know, in terms it, of his yards per carry. Yeah, and only, but yeah, I'm, it's funny you say that. I was just about to say, you know, all these Cowboys fans are like, well, what's going on with Ezekiel Elliott? He's not as explosive as he used to be, and is he out of shape? And he's probably in great shape, but since he came into the league, he's probably had 300 touches of the ball, you know what I mean? Like, imagine carrying the ball via pass or run 300 times mm -hmm. every year for 16 games a season. So this is, what, year six? And, you know, my, my next-door neighbor, he made a great analogy He's a big Cowboys fan too. And he told me, he was like, you know what? I'm glad they got uh, Ezekiel Elliott when they drafted him. But running backs, running backs like him are very explosive at the beginning of the career. But when you rely on the run a lot, a running back like that doesn't last his entire career. You know what I mean? It's After, very rare you see a running back on their third contract. Yeah. So he, well, he's on his second one now, right? So he told me, you get a, a running, a good running back will last you a good six years. This is year six for Ezekiel Elliott. So I'm not saying he's not going to be the same after this season, but uh, he's definitely going to be a little more uh, run down at the end of this year. You know what I mean? So we'll see. I, I, I but I, I do think the uh, Eagles, the Cowboys are going to be uh, very good offensively. They're not. I just think that defense, like you said, can't really carry them through the playoffs. Okay. But yeah. Hey, we both agree. Cowboys fans, you heard it here. An Eagles fan and a Niners fan saying you're going to win the division. So congrats. Anyway. <laughs> Next team up in the division, the New York Giants. Yeah. Last year, they finished 6-10. and 10. This year, I have them finishing 3-14. and 14. And Ooh. they made a lot of additions to this team. So it's going to be a very make-or-break season for Daniel Jones. Kenny Galladay, Kadavius Toney. Uh, obviously, they got John Ross, former first-round pick out of Washington. And Saquon Barkley is coming back to this team. However, yeah. I just haven't bought truly into Daniel Jones overall. And certainly his ball security issues, I think, have been a thing that until I see him out on the field actively not fumbling the ball, <laughs> I think that's always just going to be a thing that holds his career back. And I do find cause for concern. Let's say he does have issues turning the ball over early. I could see the Giants making a quarterback switch. And that's not to say that they have a great backup quarterback behind him. Mike Glennon is their backup quarterback. But I think if you're Joe Judge and you're portraying yourself as this hard-nosed, old-school coach, then a quarterback who can't uh, keep the ball on your side of the field, I think, needs to be punished accordingly. 
Yeah, I, and you know what? To be honest, I don't know if even the play, the Giants players themselves and the city of New York's bought into Joe Judge. I mean, he has these guys running laps before practice, like a freaking middle school football team. So, I mean, to each his own, but I mean, I that would piss me off if I was an NFL player, like run a lap. I mean, it was this high school, you know? So I think like, that's part of the problem of these Belichick disciples. They all want to be Coach Belichick, but they don't have that cachet. They don't have the Super Bowls behind their name. So yeah. players look at them and it's like, who are you? What have you done? Why are we running yeah. laps for you, Joe Judge, who have yeah. done nothing in the NFL? Yeah, and yeah, and as far as uh, Daniel Jones, I'm not a I'm not a believer in him either. I uh, again, ball security is his big issue. When you can't hold on to the football, and you're the quarterback, you you you've got some major problems. Again, I, I I don't see the Giants doing much. I know they and then they also picked up. I I believe they picked up Kyle Rudolph from the Vikings, if I'm not mistaken. Also, so they they got their own little set of weapons too. But I, I just think their Achilles heels quarterback. I, maybe they'll bench him if he doesn't show out uh, like like you just said. But uh, we'll see what Joe Judge. I, he has he definitely has his work cut out for him. Yeah, speaking for sure. of tight ends that they acquired, I do think this is another huge indictment on Joe Judge too. Uh, Calvin Benjamin, how he exited a camp. I don't know if you remember seeing that story come across the feed. You will never win a Super Bowl with this head coach. I guess after he got cut because he failed uh, physical, because he was overweight, because that's just what Calvin Benjamin does. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Eddie Lacy. Just like yeah, uh, they have to put funny. those weight stipulations in your contract. <laughs> It, it was it was funny when because um, nobody knew nobody's ever heard of Joe Judge before he got hired. Right. So I, I saw this great tweet. It was funny. It was a great joke that somebody tweeted. Yeah, the, the Giants just called the Patriots facility and hired the first person who answered the phone. And well, it, it wasn't a very desirable business. coaching job at the time when they brought yeah. him in, too. I'm trying to think, like, who were the candidates out there that they were potentially talking to? And I don't think there was a lot of hands that were getting raised to sign up for that job at that time, especially to being tied to Gettleman, being tied to Daniel Jones is a tough thing for a coach to come into uh, because you obviously want to select your guys and know who you're rolling with moving forward. I did like what I saw from the team at points last year. They looked competitive. Uh, they looked like that gritty physical team. Some of their draft picks uh, that Gettleman have put out there have produced they are solid NFL players but I, I think the fact that they missed at the quarterback position and I'm already ready to call it I think Daniel Jones is a miss at the quarterback position for them oh. is always just going to hinder them and I think they're going to be on their next coach next year I think they're going to be on a new quarterback next year new GM next year I think the New York Giants are just going to totally clean house after this season and yeah. like I said three and 14 I think they're just going to totally well, bottom out and not a knock, but I also feel like their first round pick was a bit of a reach also, because I feel like they panicked after the Cowboys and the Eagles made that trade for the Eagles to get in front of the Giants so they don't get Devontae Smith. So I feel like they kind of, I mean, I'm not saying he's not going to be a good player, but I just feel like they could have, the guy that they drafted, Tony, right? Catavius uh, Tomey, yeah. Um, Tony, and yeah. yes, you know, he, I will say that I like Catavius Tomey in terms of skill set and player. I think he's athletic and he can be a high level NFL wide receiver, maybe not a number one in offense, but certainly number two or three, which I think is what you're asking for him behind Kenny Galladay when you go out there and spend big bucks on a guy like him. But yes, I can, I can see that like certainly that panic buy situation in terms of going out a wide receiver. But I think that's also part of, again, just trying to put that pressure on Jones that this is your final year to prove yourself. We're just going to load up on as many wide receivers, as many athletic top end weapons. And if you can't produce now, 
then you will never produce. And yeah, yeah I, I think that this is a finite for the Giants this year. Yeah. Okay. Moving on to the last team in the division, the surprise winner <laughs> of the division last year went through yeah. a lot of changes to say the least. Uh, one of which was their team name, the Washington football team winning this division with a mighty record of seven and nine this year. I have the Washington football team finishing nine and eight. And I do see them making that improvement because I do love their defense. I mean, certainly Jonathan yeah. Allen, Der- Deron Payne, John Bostick, Montez Sweat, Chase Young. Uh, they went out there and picked up William Jackson, cornerback from the Cincinnati Bengals last year. They did lose Ryan Kerrigan, which is going to be a huge loss for them. But I think they have enough pieces on that front seven to make any team's day a nightmare offensively. Oh, yeah. And one of the big questions for them is going to be, they didn't really do much at the quarterback position. They went and acquired journeyman Ryan Fitzpatrick. And I love Ryan Fitzmagic. I love what he's done in his career. He's going to be one of those players that we talk about for years, even though they're not a Hall of Famer. But at the same time, uh, you know, it's a lot of faith to put in Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's never really started and finished a season as a team's bona fide number one. Right behind him, you have Taylor Heineke, who showed some promise in that playoff game last year. But the quarterback position is the one thing that could hold this team back. Equating last year's team to this year's team, Terry McLaurin on the outside, Curtis Samuel. I think that they can be improved. Ron Rivera is a good head coach. I think they have the right pieces to be one of those teams that just any day, they're just a team that you don't want to play on Sundays. Yeah. No, you're, you just, you, you, again, you, you're right on it. Uh, I think that the Washington football team probably be the only team that competes with the Cowboys for the NFC East this year. Just like you said, their defense is ferocious. That front seven is going to be, it doesn't matter who they go up against. They, that defense is going to compete with anybody they line up with. I mean, you got Chase Young, who's a monster. Jonathan Allen, who's a monster. Their defense is just loaded with first-round talent. And it shows they won the division last year through defense. As bad as their offense was, they couldn't score any points, but their defense wasn't really giving points giving points up either at times. So I think they're going to be a force to be reckoned with in the division. I do like Ryan Fitzpatrick also. Again, like you said, he's very. I, I think he's very streaky because when he's good he's on fire oh he's, he's like dan marino out there when yeah he looks great but then there's times where he, when he struggles he struggles like we talk like three interceptions two fumbles you know what i mean so but i i do like him i think he's a good i guess you could say a placeholder i guess for this year because i don't see him coming back after this year i think they can compete for the division and and, and, I, and to be honest i know i picked the cowboys to win the nfc east I'm, I, unfortunately i it hurts me to say that but i, I it wouldn't surprise me if washington runs it back and repeats again just on their defense alone you know so, they can't do that though, Puka. It's the NFC East, a division yeah. that hasn't been had a repeat champion in close to 20 years. Mm-hmm. It's and one the of last- the most parody-filled divisions there. Yeah. Um, even despite teams that we think can just run it back. I remember banking on your Eagles after the Super Bowl run. I'm like, ah, this team is gonna break that streak. No, <laughs> it's just one yeah. of those things. I don't know what it is about this division. It's always the wackiest division in football. Yeah, and I, and I think the, the last team to, to, to repeat as division winners was the 2003-2004 Eagles. So With Andy Reid and ago. Toe, and Don Mimi. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Long so, time. Flashback Friday, am I right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I, again, uh, I know we just talked about that streak. I wouldn't be surprised if Washington uh, ekes out a division win. Just because they have they, – and then I think they do have the best head coach in the NFC East, hands down. Ron Rivera – 
I mean, that guy is just a defensive genius. And the way he just coordinates with his with his team, you could see that, like, he's always under control of every situation during a game. Like, he's been there, done that. He's very smart, knows how to get. And not only that, but he knows how to get through to his players. Except uh, when it comes to taking a COVID vaccine. Yeah. So, yeah, other than that. <laughs> but there's this uh, great video. One of my favorite, like, videos of Ron Rivera is when he was coaching the Carolina Panthers. I forgot what team they were playing, but he was ripping into the Panthers. But at the same time, he wasn't, like, degrading them. He was telling them how great they are. And you, you can go up toe-to-toe with this team. We know who, we know who they are. Granted, he was using some obscenities, some, some very in, uh, colorful language that I don't want to repeat, but... If you go on YouTube and type in Ron Rivera halftime speech where he's ripping into the Panthers, it's you're you're, you're gonna know why the Reds the Redskins the Washington football team why their 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 mindset is like that on defense. As far as their offense goes, they can put up points too now that they have Ryan Fitzpatrick. Again, streaky though. When he's hot, he's hot. When he's not, you don't want him on the field. So we'll see. We'll we'll definitely see. But I have them going nine and eight. Also, I think they're gonna lose to the Cowboys in that second game. I think they'll split. And I think that that second game is the one that gets them at the end. So, uh, but again, I wouldn't be surprised if, if they run it back. Okay. So just to recap it for everyone. Uh, so we're in agreement. We think the Cowboys will win it. The Washington football team in second, Eagles in third, and the Giants last place. Yeah. All right. So that does it for the NFC East preview. Uh, just a quick question and don't need to expand on it too much, Booga, but for, man. who are you me. most excited about to see go into the Hall of Fame this past uh, week? Peyton Manning. Ah, easy one. Right? Uh, <laughs> Too easy. Uh, uh, Peyton Manning. I was kind of a. I was kind of sad that he went third, though. I think he should have been like the last guy. But you know, I don't know who set that up. But yeah, and then like, did you watch his speech? He like came out and just started making fun of fun of Tom Brady. He started making fun of. Uh, I, I gotta watch his speech, but I know he was like just cracking jokes like right off the jump. I guess he was just nervous and started. Started you know, speaking that. of a great stand-up comedian, I think Peyton Manning is very underrated oh. when he's on the mic. Oh, you know, he's fantastic. I love, uh, I loved when he was on that uh, Saturday Night Live and he was throwing the football at the kids like really hard. He's like, "Come on, you know, you idiot!" Or he's calling them names and stuff. It's yeah, you go into the porta potty. You come back when you know how to catch. <laughs> Omaha, <laughs> Omaha. I'm so excited about him and his brother Eli being on that like alternate Monday Night Football broadcast. I think that's going to be so fun to watch. Oh, that's going to be great. Yeah, no, he's uh, him and his brother. I, I mean, I don't think Eli's as animated as him, but it's gonna that's going to be some good TV right there. Can you believe Definitely. there's going to be another one of those fuckers in the league here? Arch Manning coming up, going to dominate oh, the, the a, a nephew, mobile right? Peyton Manning. Think about that one. Peyton the, the Manning nephew. was Wills. I, I don't even want to know what that yeah. looks like. Oh, yeah, so like I, I was watching him. Uh, he plays in what? He plays in Louisiana, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. He plays in Louisiana. I think he's right now he's deciding on which college he wants to attend. Uh, it's between UT and Alabama. So obviously I'm a little bit biased being out here, central Texas here. I've, if he goes to UT, I, I, I don't care what I have to do to get into a game. Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask, speaking about UT, SEC 2025, what do you think? I think it's honestly a bad decision for them from a football standpoint. Because they're struggling in the Big 12, at least with that brand of football. I don't see them competing well in the SEC when you have to go up against Georgia, when you have to go up against Alabama, LSU, Ole Miss, all these teams that unfortunately are just better than UT. Now, hey, if they get Arch Manning and they get some more five-star recruits, if Sark can 
really get that recruiting base going in Texas again, then all bets are off. But overall, I think it's a bad football decision for them right now as a business decision. Don't get me wrong. That's a a great decision. There's multi-millions of dollars coming to them for being in the SEC. I think right now it's a better deal for Oklahoma based on how their teams are currently constructed. Well, well, not only that, I mean, I think uh, the SEC uh, board, they they unanimously wanted UT and Oklahoma in their conference. So, I mean... They want them there, obviously, but I, you know what, I, I, I think I know you think it's a bad move, but I think over time, and I was talking to a friend of mine about that. I asked him the exact same thing, and he was like, "Dude, I think it's gonna be better than what people think, because you're a five-star recruit. Would you rather go play in Baton Rouge or would you go to Austin, Texas?" It depends on who the coach is, though, and Sark still yeah. has a lot of proving himself to get there. That's really what college football comes down to. Yeah, and Sark was doing a great job recruiting out there at USC. Now he just has to stop showing up to team meetings drunk and he'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I think, uh, I think it's going to be better for UT if they, again, they can get those recruits in there. I mean, if I was, I mean, yeah, granted we're thinking about coaches, but we're also think we're also talking to 18 year old, 18 year olds here at the end of the day, you know, would you rather go to Tuscaloosa and would you yeah. rather listen or would, Tusc- you re- or would you rather go to Austin? You know, like, but who's going to get me to the pros? Who's going to get me that like multi-million dollar contract that first round, Nick Saban or Nick Saban's disciple. That's one of those things. That's what I think has separated college football at this point. And that's why Alabama just continues to separate themselves from the pack. The fact that you look at just the first rounders they sent this past year, Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith, Mac Jones, several offensive linemen the year before. Henry Ruggs III, Jerry Judy, Tua, they just consistently over time. And if you go in the first round, there's way more money than you make than you go in the second round, being on yeah. national TV. As long as Nick Saban and other prominent college football programs like Clemson, Ohio State continue to win at the level they're winning, they're going to pull in recruits regardless of what city they're in. Because the truth of the matter is, College kids can have fun anywhere, honestly. You know, they're just yeah. give them a bar, you know, a decent football team. It's it's all the same. And now it's living, I mean, now, living well, four years well, through you, a blackout well, what you, what phase. You, what do you think about uh I know we just talked about getting paid in the first round and all that, but now that college football players and college athletes everywhere can now get paid, even before going to the pros, do you still think that'll be uh a- I think that it will have some role to play in certain kids where they want to go. Like for example, if you're a kid who's making money in LA. And you don't feel as obligated to go to those powerhouses in the SEC. Now you can stay at USC. You can stay at UCLA, make your bank there, make a name for yourself there, and still go to the pros. Whereas it was starting to become a point where if you were talented, no matter what part of the country you were in, uh, West Coast, East Coast, Southeast, North, going to the South, the uh, epicenter of American football just made sense for you as far as your pro playing career. Now that you can make money, no matter what part of the country you're in, I, I think that that um, does help even the playing field out a little bit. I think that there's still ways to go because Alabama just brought in another class that is apparently the highest graded recruiting class in college football history since they had the top five, since they had the five-star system incorporated. So I, I think that that's just one of those things, especially too, because that basically says they're going to be good for the next four years with those oh, yeah. guys. and. Yeah, I, I think until that changes, I, I think college football is just going to stay where it's been. I think the biggest thing to be really excited about for college football 
is the uh, 12 team playoff expansion. I think that right. that's going to help even things out more than anything. Yeah. And that's starting. When is that starting? It's starting this year, right? Or Actually, when? I don't even know if it was officially voted on. I just know oh, the last okay. I heard they were talking about it. They were extremely close and a deal was about to get done. And then the Oklahoma UT stuff kind of overshadowed it. So I don't know where that's currently at. I hope that gets done because I think as a fan, I enjoy seeing these playoff games a lot more than I enjoy seeing the New Mexico Bowl. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely a, a big plus right there. Yeah, I mean, twelve teams, man. I mean, you can ha- you can you, you can essentially get your top five winners from your power conferences, and you could, I guess, have a selection show to pick the next seven yeah. or wild cards. I, I think what college football fans too appreciate is unorthodox matchups. Seeing people that don't usually play each other go against each other, like a USC exactly. versus Alabama or a UT versus a Ohio State. I think yeah. that those kind of matchups, there's a lot of money in there putting premium brands against each other like that. And I think that it just is surprising that it took college football this long to come around to the concept. Yeah, talk about unorthodox matchups. I remember back in like six years ago, we were hoping and praying for a Oregon-Alabama national title game, Chip Kelly versus <laughs> right. <laughs> Nick Saban, but it never happened, you know, so it's it's always nice. And I think it just incorporating the other side of the country, having this split where it's just SEC football teams, it's just Clemson, it's just Ohio State, I think was just bad for it. I want to see Pac-12 schools compete. I want to see a surprise Boise State get in there oh, or yeah. something of that nature happen. And it was just not going to happen with the way it was set up with those four team playoff system or the way it is still technically currently set up, but it seems like it's at least getting better. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I think that's a good close to the show, but all right, Puga. So what are you working on next, man? Obviously, like I said, you're doing big things out there. You're touring, you're uh, getting out there on open mics. What's next for you, man? Uh, well, I'm in talks with uh, a couple producers here in El Paso. They want to put a, a new faces of comedy show. Uh, of course, I'm, an, I'm a relatively new face. So they want me to be on that. There, there's no, uh, I don't have a specific date, but we're looking at September. It's going to be uh, at a venue downtown somewhere. I don't know. Uh, but uh, no, that's what I'm working on right now. Uh, going through a little bit of writer's block. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to say I'm coming up with great stuff every single day because it's impossible to. But, uh, you know, I just got to get back out there and, you know, go out, write some more and, um, you know, fix up a couple of things. Like I just rewatched my set in Las Cruces and I, I felt like I could have done a little bit better. So uh, you got to work on that. You know, again, go back, watch the game tape, the film, see if you can get better. Right. So that, that's what I'm working on right now. Uh, and, and hitting open mics, just getting your reps in, practicing. Granted, it's in front of a bunch of drunk El Pasoans who don't want to listen to comedy, but that's where you get your stripes, man, at, the, at those open mics. So if you're in El Paso, uh, hear me out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, check him out. Stephen Michael Puga, look him up on Instagram, YouTube, whatever he's working on. Show some love there, guys. Thank you. Uh, by Appreciate the way, check us out, of course. I mean, you're listening to us. But are you subscribed? If not, hit that subscribe button right there. Leave a five-star review for us on iTunes. Of course, at Slumpbuster Podcast on IG, at Slumpbuster Pod on Twitter. Don't be a chump. Use promo code SLUMP and save yourself money on your next purchase of delicious cold brew coffee from CavemanCoffeeCo.com. Guys, stay safe, happy, and healthy. We'll see you on episode 104.